Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode number five of Crazy Money. I'm excited today because I have a very fun conversation with the author Anna David. Anna is a New York Times bestselling author. She's written several books, including Party Girl, which I have read in its entirety. If you like Sex in the City, if you like stories of spiraling down and redemption, professional and personal resurrection, then you'll love Party Girl. Her writing has also appeared in basically anywhere you can find words on the internet. Time, Women's Health, Entrepreneur, Vice, New York Times, which which you might not know this, but NewYorkTimes.com, they have another property that's actually a piece of paper that comes to people's doorsteps every day. It's called the New York Times newspaper, and her writings appeared in that as well. Anyway, Anna's got a great story uh, where she came from, how she got into journalism, and uh, the hiccups that her um, career has taken along the way. And now how she makes a living as an entrepreneur in the arts. So I found that to be very, very interesting. If you happen to be in the New York City area this week, that's March 13th, 2019. Why don't you come see me headline, Caroline's on Broadway. That's right next to the M&M store, as you might know. Yeah, I did that joke. I told that joke in the the previous uh, episodes when I was plugging the show. March 13th, Caroline's on Broadway. I'll also be at the Cotton Club at the Tabernacle in Atlanta, Georgia for two shows on Saturday, March 16th to benefit the St. Baldrick's Foundation, which is locked in a battle with childhood cancer and it's going to kick cancer's ass. Also on March 18th, that's next Monday, I'll be opening for Sean Patton at the Foundry in Athens, Georgia. I'm really excited about that. Also coming up, North Carolina Comedy Festival, DC Comedy Festival, and the Laughing Skull Comedy Festival in May. It's going to be a really fun spring. Thank you for listening. Oh, hey, one thing I need to let you know. This interview was recorded in November. And the reason I mention that is because she makes reference to a wedding that she was in, a very, 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 very high-profile wedding that she was in. And in the interim, uh, that marriage has uh, somewhat dissolved in a very public and high profile manner. And so uh, the reason I don't go deep on asking questions about the relationship in question is because one, I'm a class act and two, the marriage hadn't fallen apart publicly yet. So I didn't have the opportunity to prove I was a class act by not asking about it. Anyway, you'll know what I mean when you get to it. I hope you enjoy this conversation. That is all. I was somebody who never cared about money. Let's put that in quotes. I never cared about money. What did that mean? I grew up really spoiled. Mm -hmm. And I now see I come from a family obsessed with money, obsessed in a way that I can't even quite believe. My name is Paul Ollinger. I'm a stand-up comedian with a background in the corporate world. I hit the lottery when I worked at a small company called Facebook. I'm fascinated with money, why we're so obsessed with it, and how it makes us happy or not. This is not a podcast about how to make a million bucks, how to beat the stock market, or how to save money by switching cable providers. It's about how we think about and live with money as a society and as individuals. It's about the choices we make that lead us toward or away from happiness. Welcome to Crazy Money. So did Mike tell you a little bit about what what money. we're up to? Money. Yeah. He told me money. So I am just super interested in the topic of money and how people think about it and how it either drives their lives or helps them live better lives. Yep. And the the thinking I had was that I wanted to interview working artists. Right. And talk about how to make a living as an artist. What did your folks do? My dad uh, started 
the first discount TV and stereo store in um, that's awesome. like on the West Coast. So uh-huh. he was like the Crazy Eddie of right. uh, the West Coast. And so by the time he was like 23, he was a millionaire. Oh, wow. And Speaker City. And he was top of the hill, Daily City. Like if you're from the Bay Area and you were around in the what 70s. What was the name? Uh, Matthews. Matthew Speakers or? It, 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 was, it, was, it was more than Speakers. It was like TV, stereos, um, you know, everything. And it was massively successful until it wasn't. <laughs> and whirp, whirp, whirp. my dad is obsessed with money in mm-hmm. the weirdest way. Um, I remember saying to him, you know, trying to make sense of the world and saying to him, you know, when I was, I don't know, like 16 or 17, so were you happy when you were starting Matthews? And he looked at me really confused and he said, I was making money. And I said, that's not what I asked you. And he didn't understand my question. He didn't understand that those were two separate things. Right. And so it was such a priority, but spending, not at all. My dad doesn't like spending money. Was Did he save no, he's a gambler. Oh, so he doesn't like to spend it. He likes to gamble it. Yeah. Such an interesting distinction between the two. Well, it's sort of, um, my dad's a, a really sick dude. Yeah. You know, um, got in trouble for embezzling, mm. took my trust fund, wow. lost it, you know. So I now see, because now I have a brother who's massively successful. Yeah. And he is not an immoral person. He, he's got, and he's making his money literally helping the world. But he's working on longevity. He's a biochemist. Cool. But, but I see some traits in the family mm-hmm. that have carried on. So you said you didn't care about money. Was that a reactionary yes. position to take against your dad? Yes. And like you I, were above it or you, didn't, you actively didn't care about it? Or how did it manifest? Well, I had the luxury of not caring because I was such a spoiled brat. <laughs> right. It's the truth. And sure. and the thing is, this is why I think I'm really lucky is my family's financial situation changed a lot right when I graduated from college. So I had everything I could possibly want, but did, was not a victim of like a Trustafarian, like right. so many people I know. Like I have the best work ethic of anyone I've ever met. How? Where did that come from? Because it, it's it's very interesting to me for having grown up middle class, having everything we needed. But I really was motivated because I wanted to make money. But now I'm raising rich children and, right. and I, I want to make sure that they grow up with ambition and drive and desire to become the best they can be. So where did that come from for you? It's hard. I, I, I'm surrounded by a lot of successful entrepreneurs who talk about that a lot. Yeah. Because um, it's like you want to give them everything you didn't have, but... You don't want to take away... The drive. Yeah. I don't know. For all that I that I really complain a lot about my dad, and he was a really terrible father in many ways, they really did that. They really, really did. How? I, um, I do think it comes um, from not, not so healthy places. Mm-hmm. I think that I was always told that I was worthless unless I was accomplishing. Not told. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I took that message. <laughs> right. Nobody right. said that. Yeah. So it was just such a value accomplishing that that I I think my desire for success comes from a less than healthy place of just like, you know, I, I feel worthless if I'm not, but I, it doesn't feel bad to me. So did they push you toward one profession or another? Yes. So I've always wanted to be a writer. Mm-hmm. And I was told over and over and over again, I would never be successful um, it was sort of laughed at and dismissed. And when it was, did you first say you wanted to be a writer? When I was seven, 
the Guinness Book of World Records had the the youngest writer, uh, the book author is six. Mm-hmm. And I remember being really bummed that I couldn't be the, in the Guinness Book of World Records. <laughs> so did you... Had I you, never told you that. Did you write a book when you were seven? I think I tried. I have my... Oh, I used to have it up on the wall. My first rejection letter was when I was like 10 and I was submitting stories to, you know, highlights and, and things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, I think I tried to write books. That editorial board at Highlights is a bunch of sharks. Can you believe that? The, the letter breaks my heart. They make the New heart. Yorker look like time. Come but on. Like, and I look at that letter and it's like signed by this man. And I'm just like, and, and the story that I submitted was like something, I, it had the word splinter in it. It was right. like how I got my first splinter. And, and Splinters it, are done this news cycle. <laughs> Fuck your splinter, kid. Well, it was like I was writing about my life experiences and I had no life experiences. Right. Getting sure. a splinter was as sure. exciting as it caught. So it's a metaphor for so much to come. It really was. So you're you're a wannabe writer at seven. Yes, and uh, my dad told me over and over again, "You will never make it. You have to go to law school. You have to go to business sure, school." Sure, right. And I just said, "Like, f- fuck you." From seven years old to pursuing a career, how did that path? <laughs> what did that path look like? Between seven and uh, well, I was a non-functioning cocaine addict from like twenty-two to. 30 so those years were a wash i'm glad you didn't get started seven no, right, right um i didn't um but i but you went to college did you have a major yeah. in mind did you want to be a writer when you yeah went to college? i majored in creative writing okay so my year was the first year they allowed you to pick english literature or creative writing and i picked creative writing because i was you know sort of a party girl i was like oh there's no exam you just write stories i loved writing stories mm-hmm. and so I did that. I was editor of the literary magazine. This is at Trinity? This was at Trinity. Right. And I interned at magazines. So I actually started getting published, even though I was really a disaster and not a together person at all. I was getting That's published. perfect for publishing. Come on. <laughs> I, was, I had an internship at Hartford Monthly. Mm-hmm. And I was writing for that magazine as a college student. Right. What kind of pieces were you submitting for Hartford I was I mean it was like when you're on because I was then on staff at magazine when you're there you get all the hey will you write a thing about this like I, I don't remember at Hartford Monthly but it was probably like this carnival that's coming to Hartford right. and like interview the carnival hey the city people. steam brewery comedy club the right the brew haha which I've played several times in Hartford in Hartford shut yeah. up Not I have for sure yeah there's something called the brew haha the brew haha it's downstairs at um, the city steam brewery I'm so sorry that yeah, you've been to no, Hartford. No, Hartford is cold Memphis. <laughs> it's the insurance <laughs> capital the, of the world. Don't, don't. It, yes, yeah, yeah, which is all moved out of Connecticut. But anyway, that's another story. So you major in creative writing. Majored in creative writing. And your dad and mom are still telling you, honey, go be a lawyer, make something of yourself. Well, my mom, to be fair, didn't say anything. Right. And my dad's voice was the loud one. Sure. I think she fully supported my doing that, but it just didn't really know that. Did you ever consider when you were majoring in something artistic, creative, did you think to yourself at any point, how am I going to make a living doing this? No, because I don't even do that today. It's really, <laughs> I'd be, I, uh, we, we wouldn't be sitting in my apartment. We'd be sitting in my mansion if I act. Because I'm it's very high functioning. It's a lovely apartment. It's a but, very cool apartment. But... But no, and and again, I was a real spoiled brat, so I had the mm-hmm. luxury of not having to think that way. Right. Did you think your parents would support you after college? I did. Did they support you after college? A little college? bit. Yeah? And wh- yeah. where did you go after college? They were really generous, and I was really lucky. Mm-hmm. I went to New York, where I got an internship at Entertainment Weekly Magazine, which had just started that year. 
timing, baby. I'm 137 years sure, old. Yeah. And um, I got an internship there. And then from there, I met an editor who was hired as the editor in chief of Parenting Magazine, mm-hmm. which is weird, but it was owned by Time Warner. They were all, you know, in that family. Right. And it was based in San Francisco, and he hired me as his assistant. So I moved back home. Oh, and, cool. And worked at Parenting Magazine for three years. Were you just doing clerical work or were you writing? I was writing. They were really cool to me. They, they. I was an editorial assistant, but I, I got to write. I mean, here's the thing. I was being paid $18,000 a year. Righteous bucks. And in retrospect, though I try not to live with regrets, I, I feel like I burned out all my eager assistant years at a magazine that was kind of worthless. Like, why hadn't I gone to New York and worked right. at New York Magazine? Sure. So I rose, you know, I was loved there and I gave them three years of my life and then it was ultimately useless. Like who cares about parenting magazine (laughs) in a way? All the publicists from the parenting category. Exactly. Like Barney the dinosaur's publicist cared a lot, (laughs) but that's not what I That goes a long way getting reservations at Balthazar. Or Do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? I'm a giant in the childcare industry. So then I moved to LA. I fell in love and I moved to LA. And I was a disaster of a person, you know, with a burgeoning alcohol and drug problem. And I got hired as a freelancer, a full-time freelancer, which is an oxymoron. And there actually was a lawsuit about this um, at People Magazine because they were doing this thing where they were, you know, full-time freelancing. Yeah, which is it's like Uber but for words. (laughs) But it was awesome if you were the person because you could make a great hourly rate. Right. But but it's illegal, basically. Sure. So I was also fired from that job, despite it not really being a job. Right. Well, okay. Yeah. How, what happened? Oh, I was a disaster. This was the cocaine and Yeah, alcohol. I was like, I had a really horrible attitude. I misquoted people, which is, was a problem when it was like a 39 million <laughs> <laughs> subscriptions. Sure. I had a thing with... It's not like it's the in-flight magazine on No, it really mattered if you up yeah right and i fucked up but mostly it was my attitude like i would fuck up and then i would be like what's your problem why are you being so hard on me right you know and i got fired and are you paying your bills by yourself at this point no until i got sober my dad was helping me and i have to say extremely cool about it yeah um like i think he was giving me a thousand dollars a month like Mm -hmm. uh, not i wasn't living great but i was never worried yeah so i was super lucky your protagonist in um party Party Girl, girl yes um there's a scene where she cuts up a line of coke with a Gap credit card. Hilarious. I didn't know that. I didn't remember that. <laughs> so I'm reading it and I'm like, maybe she didn't so much didn't do so much coke she could make it up to Banana Republic. You know, maybe was there was there a point when did your financial life improve as you started to pull your personal uh well, stuff together? I have a really weird relationship with money, which this gap thing kind of gets at <laughs> okay. that I've been pondering today. So maybe you can help me okay. here with this. So I make I, I I hate budget and stuff like that. And we haven't really gotten into it, but now you know, now I'm more an entrepreneur and I make money. I am so reticent to spend it. And I know this comes from family stuff. Right. But I also have money socked away. Sure. Like real money. Because my brother was incredibly generous with uh, stock in his company. Yeah. So it's there, but it's also for my future, for the house I'm going to buy and all of that stuff. Okay. 
tell me about Light Hustler. So it's a company where it's all about helping you share your dark to find your light. So it's um, helping people write books. We write books for them. We publish mm -hmm. them. And then it's also storytelling. I mean, it's kind of any medium you want to tell, mm -hmm. but but books and articles are the main way people tell right. their stories. So you're okay. So you're doing sort of uh, new age publishing, new age in the sense that you can do it without a p traditional publisher, yeah. or you can connect them get with resources and coaching to write book proposals, pitch articles. And then to submit those those finished articles, et cetera. Yeah, we prefer indie publishing okay. over new age publishing. Well, new age sounds like we're <laughs> I mean, find our shock. Sounds like seventies yeah, Marin. Right. But it's actually I I do both because of my coaching program is actually teaches people how to write a book proposal and then sell it to a publisher and you get a meeting with my lit agent right. um and a publisher. One one out of every ten gets that. Right. So I believe in both. This is really interesting because, you know, as you, you talk to a lot of artists and you're around artists, and I think a lot of comedians and writers and sculptors kind of feel powerless to their art. Like they feel like I just have to do this, but they don't, they, they think it's mutually exclusive from making a living. You've taken your success in your creative life and turned it into a business. Yes. And to be clear, I am not one of those artists who says I have to do my art at all. I say, I will only do my art if you pay me. <laughs> That's like, awesome. I'm a very, I'm very much not a quote, true writer to many That's, people's I was, definitions. I was about to ask you the question, when you think about your next project, do you think about what some, something that is burning inside of you that you have to say, or are you thinking about what's sellable? Well, I come to this cynical place from my experience, which was, and like we can walk it back now, is, you know, Party Girl was a book that, um, you know, so I get sober, I'm not a disaster anymore, I'm not getting fired, I start getting my dream jobs at magazines, it's all going really well, and then I decide to write a book, and it was this totally magical experience, I sat down, I wrote this book, it's very pure, it's very funny. It is and funny. So what year is this? I think I wrote it in 2004 and five, and then it came out in 2007. Why'd you want to write it? Well, the truth of the matter is, um, you know, as you know, from my bookshelf, I've always been a reader and I was in someone's office. Actually, ironically, it was the person who fired me from people when I made amends to him. We ended up becoming friends. He actually rehired me mm -hmm. and I was in his office and I saw on his bookshelf an, a book written by a girl I used to hang out with who was like part of our little group. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I'm so much smarter than she is. <laughs> if she can write a book, I know I Do you want to throw I her can. name out right now or should we, should we go right there? No. No, she, I mean, okay. she's smart enough, but I was she like- She knows who she is. Yeah, you know, I haven't thought about that girl in a long time, but she's the reason <laughs> I wrote a book. I was like, if she could do that- Carrie it can't Bradshaw. be that hard. Right. It just can't. And it's not. As somebody who's working on a second book, it's hard. We, we all have our skill sets. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like your skill set is Mine making is, a lot of money. Mine is when you saw it, you thought I can do that too. So did you want to prove something to yourself? Did you want to did you want to bolster your professional credibility? Uh, write a manuscript that could become a movie? What why were you writing this book? I don't think I knew. Did you have anything to prove to somebody that you're not the fucked up party girl that... Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said, I think my workaholism comes from this, like, I need to prove how wrong you were, Dad. Mm -hmm. I didn't... I just want... I, I really do, to my credit, pursue what I think is fun. Right. I thought that would be really fun. And it just can't be as hard as people say it is. And it wasn't at all. I sat down, I wrote it, and I got really lucky 
in that well, I had built up a good name as a magazine writer at that point. I had columns in a bunch mm-hmm. of places. Mm-hmm. And so I had two agents that were like pursuing me the minute I finished it. And I got to pick between two really good agents. That's awesome. And then she sold it the next week, the one I picked. <laughs> That's great. To my like top choice publisher. It all went to shit right after that. But How that to go was to great. Shit? Well, so she sold it to Regan Books. And Judith Regan back in the early 2000s was the publisher. She had every book she touched was a bestseller. And we all, it was, our, it was my dream come true. And then she was fired in the biggest scandal to ever hit publishing because she published O.J. Simpson's If I Did It book. Oh, and so her, so it's like people talk about at publishing houses, you know, it's high turnover. It's terrible money. So people will be like, oh, I got orphaned. My editor left. And it's like, I got orphaned and the orphanage was burned to the ground. There was no Regan books. Yet the corpse of that publisher owned the rights to your manuscript. To, well, to and your, the truth is I was book. lucky because they canceled all their book deals except uh-huh. for me and Chelsea handler and that was before she had her show so right. her book did a little bit better than mine but um damn you chelsea but i was lucky that they they re- they released it under a fake imprint that HarperCollins made up and um it was it really sucked it really sucked because Be- it just didn't do as well as it should have because they didn't they didn't have the public relations or distribution there, there, was, there was literally nothing it was just wow. like there's like if i wanted to get copies of that book if i ever want it i have to order them on amazon because there's no one to call <laughs> there's no one there so then I then got um, my next book we sold to people who had worked at Regan Books and they were like, well, we're real, you got so screwed. We're so sorry. We're going to make it up to you. And then they basically said, well, because book orders for Party Girl were so minimal, right? bookstores aren't really ordering. So anyway, and I was constantly digging myself out of the hole of my bad luck. Right. So I did six books. One was a New York Times bestseller, and I dine out on that every second I can. But but the truth is, the books I cared about were not. And what was different about how that was brought to the market? Oh well, no, it was I wrote it for Tom Sizemore, this psychotic actor. Yes, I know of him. And so he, he you know, he was on Doctor Phil. It, it just was, it just was gonna be. I only did it because I knew it would be a New York Times bestseller. Right. Um, but that didn't make me money. Today, your income stream, you, you are both an entrepreneur. Do you have some catalog income from your books or not? No. Nothing substantial? God, no. Oh, no nothing, nothing at all. Okay. I mean, I did Kindle singles, which is a different thing. And mm-hmm. I do make you know some money from that. But um, my income comes from my coaching program. Mm-hmm. From I'm actually working for a friend of mine right now on a website called Genius Recovery. Mm-hmm. And I'm helping them build it up. But I, and I do speaking. I speak at colleges. That's pretty lucrative. I, I literally cannot keep track of the things that I do. I do retreats and workshops. And then every day I come up with, this is this morning's ideas over there on my wall. Oh, that's uh, awesome. So every day I come up with- We're me. looking at a piece of butcher block paper that is taped to her wall. And there's about 12 things written down, future monthly certified coaches, yeah, speaking, et cetera, et cetera. So and it's a problem because I get so excited about the new thing that I fail to focus on the current thing. When somebody asks you, what do you do? It's hard. How do you answer the question? Well, um, I, I, I've finally perfected that. Like, oh, I help people share their dark. Uh, I, I help people write books. I write books and I help people write books. That's probably the easiest. My dreams with Party Girl all got dashed. And one of my dreams was that I was going to sell the audio rights. And of course, there was no one around to do anything. So they didn't sell. And so this year, I got the rights back from HarperCollins. And oh, I cool. recorded the audio book. You can search Audible, but you can go to the Party Girl on Amazon. They're obviously owned by the same. Yes, I've 
You've heard that. Amazon owns a few things. You know, I was in the Jeff Bezos's wedding. No, please tell me about that. How? What's your connection to? He married my childhood friend. What was that? It's the only like? wedding I've ever been in. You've only the only wedding you've ever been is Jeff Bezos' wedding. Isn't that crazy? They're not going to be that exciting uh, after that one. What was no, the wedding one, like? What, what kind of wine were they pouring at Bezos? Oh, you no, were dry no. at that point. Probably. No, I wasn't. But I think I got <laughs> shit faced at that wedding. But um, but no, no, no. They lived in a five hundred square foot apartment. They were like. What year was that? That was uh, nineteen ninety. Three, oh wow and he got this crazy idea like hey i want to start this thing we're leaving new york and she's like what are you talking about you had, wasn't he like a, a consultant at mckinsey or something he was at they both they met at work i can't remember it was an investment bank i can't you're remember. gonna give up ninety four thousand dollars a year to start a dumb company to sell books on CompuServe? i know i know silly jeff but it was true love and she followed him and it worked out do you consider yourself to be an entrepreneur yes I definitely, I prefer it. I find it way more creative than writing. Really? Mm-hmm. Why is that? And I specifically find marketing more creative than writing. Um, because it, this, the reason I ever wanted to be a writer is I'm fascinated by words and I'm fascinated by psychology. And I certainly don't want to be a shrink. I don't want to sit and listen to people's issues. Um, <laughs> but right. marketing is the same thing. You're figuring out what's going to make somebody buy and what's going to give them what they want? It's kind of the same thing. Yeah. Well, and it's also figuring out the difference between what people think they want and what they want. I've met a bunch of brilliant marketers, and I remember James Altucher telling me, you know, people think they want money. Yeah. So you sell all these things that tell them they're going to get rich. They don't really want that. So actually, what you're doing is teaching them something else. And I mean, it's my philosophy with writing. You know, all my writing is pretty humorous, mm-hmm. and it's yet I'm writing about addiction. I'm writing about right. like suicide. I'm writing about yeah. depression. So it's sort of like you and and my show, you know, is really really funny. My storytelling show, and it's like, it's sort of like you trick people into thinking they're being entertained, but you're actually trying to really save them. I take the opposite approach with my comedy. Really. <laughs> <laughs> I, tr- I, you want I, them I bring to them in telling them I'm going to teach them something and then I just tell fart jokes for 30 minutes. And How does that work? Does that work? Oh, everybody leaves just, you know, <laughs> elated with, the, with the, the depths of my shallowness and my comedy act. No, um, I can see that. I'm trying. No, I mean, I'm trying to I'm, I'm trying to sort of I'm trying to learn to talk about money on stage without people going like. You people dickhead. Are, people are going to hate you. I know. Well, that's on me. That's on me to figure out how to talk about it in a way that it tells the story. You know. I think it's brave of you. <laughs> I do. Thanks. Thanks. Well, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna work on it together. We're gonna figure out how to how to how to be smarter about the whole thing because I think people don't understand money and it really ends up biting them in the ass because they think they want to get rich and then they get rich and they're like, well, this isn't that great. And then they end up trying to fill their life with the trappings of wealth, yeah. which just pull them further down the rabbit hole of lack of self-awareness and doing the thing that they care about. And they're like, well, now I got to keep this job doing something I really don't care about because I have a Ferrari in an 8,000 square foot house in Atherton that and yet I doesn't feel do empty. a goddamn yeah. thing for me in terms of being a happy human being. And so, I, I, I mean, I think there's, there's pro- I haven't done reading about, about addiction and money, but there's crazy overlap. There's got to be. You'd be surprised. I mean, not that I'm an expert, but, you know, I have been around the recovery circles. I, I think less than you'd think. Yeah. I mean, in my dad's case, yes. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm trying to think of, like, the 
the like people in recovery I know, most of them, most of the people I know, I would say are like massive under earners. Right. And, and it's been interesting for me kind of getting in this, you know, high level marketing entrepreneur circle. They're so different than like the people I hang out with. Last night I was at this dinner, one of those like badass entrepreneurs. And there was a guy there who's a, who's clearly a very big deal therapist in Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. And he was, Joseph Campbell was his mentor. Mm-hmm. So he's in his 60s or 70s. Right. Yep. And he is like, he basically was like, when incredibly successful people have breakdowns, they come to me. And his therapy is, you can't see him regularly. You go in for like a two-day session. Wow. Every And and he, I was getting some free shit from him. I mean, he was just basically like- <laughs> T-shirts or what? <laughs> life-changing oh, advice. Oh, but I woke up this morning good going, stuff. what was the question he was asking? I mean, he's like, you need your life's purpose. Yeah. And then you need and something else. And I can't remember this something <laughs> That's else. That's why you got to go back to him. He can't let you remember everything. That's yeah, true. He, he wouldn't be able to charge $50,000 for, for the swoop-in save-you session that he's- yeah, that that's what he was talking. He was talking about those people. He yeah. was talking about the people with the Ferrari and the home in Atherton. Yeah. So. And sorry. I yes, say you had, something you had 14 more points yeah. to make. I want to hear them. Well, one thing is that I think this is what's really lucky is that because I grew up with money and I saw how empty it was, I always understood that. God, I hope my kids aren't saying that. They probably aren't because you're wow. asking the questions. My parents weren't. So, so, so never... how does that inform who you are today, like that, that upbringing? Do you, do you feel like you're more you see both sides of the money equation or I, I was we're going to say you're more blase about it, but that doesn't sound respectful. No, I think that's true. I think I'm blase about it. You could be surrounding yourself with far greater trappings of wealth if you'd like to. Depends. I mean, so, I mean, I've certainly had opportunities with men like that. Do you know what I mean? Like I, you know what I mean? Like I could have just married some rich dude. Right. Right. And like that They're never interested in me. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, mm-hmm. Clearly, um, but you I wouldn't al- consider me to be rich. Don't worry. No, I. Here's my thing. I I saw my mom's financial dependence, and I said I will never have that. Yeah. So, and I just don't care that much about. I care a little bit. I care about freedom and comfort. What advice would you give to a young person who wants to practice their art and be successful? doing something for the right reasons. I don't mean to move to Hollywood and be famous. I mean right. like they want to write because they have something to say or they want to learn to be a great writer. Do you know about that um, Kevin Kelly piece, A Thousand True Fans? I don't. It, it's either Keith Kelly or Kevin Kelly. He's the co-founder of Wired and he wrote a piece called A Thousand True Fans and it's mm-hmm. basically an artist does not need to be world famous. That's right. And it's all you need are a thousand people who will de- who will buy anything you put out there, show up anywhere. Right. Um, Corona is a good example of people like you need fanatics. That's what yeah. a thousand. That's what a true fan is. Right. I've got about twelve, so I've got a ways to go. Thirteen today. <laughs> Thirteen today, lady. You came from Orange 14. County. Yeah. That's In rush hour traffic. In, that's a commitment. Yeah. No. You read forty pages of my book. I've read more than forty. I've read like forty percent of your book. Okay. Okay. And it hasn't been painful at all. It's no, been fun. That's, thank you. It's been I'm fun. And you know what else it makes me feel? Thank God I'm not twenty five anymore. A thousand true fans. Talk more about that. So so what I would tell and what I do tell people is you are never probably it, it, the kind of writing I do as a screenwriter you can make money you're never going to make m- money at the kind of writing that we like to do and the economics are getting worse every year yeah 
So you can make plenty of money by being a writer. Mm-hmm. And you have to build your audience. And that's why I teach it. And it can't just be writing. It's got to be more different ways Speaking. to connect. And, and I mean, here's the thing that I learned. You know, with Party Girl, I was on the Today Show multiple times. I was in every magazine. I was all over the place. I've gotten more press than you can even dream of. And it did not sell books. Right. Because what sells books and what sells stuff is having your own audience. It's building your newsletter yeah. list. It's b- building your social media. Only only build the social media if you can bring them to your list, though. Because, you know, and this is the big marketing thing is you don't want to build it on Facebook and Instagram because then Facebook and Instagram own it. So sure. yeah. get them to you. Yeah. So so I would say you have to do that and you have to be prolific. I know a ton of people <laughs> who write a book and then they're like, oh, I couldn't sell it. It's like, cool, write seven more right. if this is what you do. When I first started writing, I remember reading somebody's, it might've been in a Stephen Pressfield book, but Somebody was talking about like I, I started to get a hang of it on like my fifth book. I was like, "Your fifth book? Are you are you kidding me?" Well, I mean, it's it's, like, one book takes a couple of years. But again, it's your skill set. To me, it's not a big deal to write a book. Yeah, but but like if you think about like Elizabeth Gilbert, Eat, Pray, Love was like her sixth book, and now the new yeah. sensation is this book. Girl, wash your face, which I'm trying to mm-hmm. read because it's successful, but having some trouble getting through it. It's like her sixth book, right? So, Girl, wash your face. It's a huge sensation. I was gonna. That was gonna be the title of my book. <laughs> <laughs> you should open with that bit. <laughs> Girl, what else should we talk about? What other important points should you tell me before, and then make it sound like it was my idea for for a question? Well, the thing is. When I hear these entrepreneur people that I meet talk mm-hmm. about like investing in their business and investing. And what, what industries are these people in? Marketing. So this guy, Joe Polish, I don't know if you know him, but since mm-hmm. you know Altatura, I didn't. He's got this thing called Genius Network. Okay. And, and it's some big ballers who uh, are yeah, okay. great That's, yeah. people. And he had me speak at it last year with like Tony Robbins. So, so he's really- Wait, Tony who? Just this guy. So- what I learned from them is you got to spend money. And I also, my students pay, you know, to them a significant amount of money to be in my coaching mm-hmm, program. Mm-hmm. And you spend the money and you're going to actually do it. Right. By spending the money, you're going to force yourself to go through the process that you would otherwise quit halfway through if yeah. you hadn't put the money down. Yeah. Right. And so, and all my students say that in the end. I was so worried about spending the money and then it was because I spent the money that I actually did it for the right. first time. Yes. So it's like I got, like I'm, I pay off my credit card to the penny every month. Good for you. So it's like, I don't know, I'll bring in money and I, so it's like this Facebook decision. I could, you know, like I said, it's probably, it's going to be like seven grand total. But what do you want to do? You're, are you trying to recruit students for your... Yeah, that would be okay. a specific drive. The plan is to drive people to... My, I have a Facebook group in addition yes. to like pages. Yes. So the groups are where it's at now, as you probably But how know. do you... So, so the, your challenge is going to be to track conversion from that group to actual students. Yeah. Because if you spend seven grand, but you sign up a hundred students, you should do that over and over and over, right? Yeah. So, but tracking's not going to be hard because I, I'm serving, like right now I'm giving them tons of free content. Mm-hmm. And then once I have my webinar, so it's basically like you're driving people to that group, yes. then getting them on the webinar and then selling them the course yes. through the webinar. As I just heard today, webinars don't work anymore, which makes sense. Now it's it's having the video, the sales video available all the time. Mm-hmm. Which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I don't want to... 
It's fascinating what's happened just in the past few years with online education and expert courses. And I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. You should teach a masterclass in like making money. I got lucky and joined it because my first bout at, at standup failed. I needed, I got engaged and I needed a job. And then some guys I'd worked with at Yahoo said, you want to join this company? And I was like, sure, I guess someday it could be as big as MySpace. That was my big insight into Facebook. Well, we all thought that about Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. And I just got lucky. Well, like David Cho. Do you know that guy? David Cho. Oh, the artist. Yeah. Yeah. How about that? I remember seeing his art on the walls and I was like, this shit is crazy. Yeah. These, these millennials, man, they have nutty art. I was 38 and felt way too old in those offices. I don't know the numbers, but David Cho is an artist who painted murals all over the walls of the original Facebook offices in downtown Palo Alto. And there were several of them. The, the, the original offices were spread out and, you know, they get 1,200 square feet here, 4,000 square feet there. And as the company grew, they would just take chunks, new, new buildings. And he came in to create art on all the different walls of the offices. They offered to pay him like $25,000 or some number of Facebook shares that ended up being worth over $50 million at the IPO, I believe, which would be worth 4X that now. So a lot tens of millions of dollars so that was a pretty good outcome for him god bless you buddy he had this show last year where you had to apply to go because mm-hmm. when you've got 50 million dollars and you're crazy yeah and you're open about it you get to do whatever you want you can be like i'm gonna have an art show and if you want to go you have to apply that's awesome yeah. just just in the in doing that he's created more demand for so it. i applied and i got in and i know tons of people who applied and had to be interviewed i just got right in <laughs> um yeah, they they would interview you and they would ask you insane questions, like just basically because he could. That's awesome. And so then what he did when you got to the show is he was a hologram, uh-huh. but he knew who you were because he'd reviewed all your. So yeah, I like yeah. so I walk in, he's like Anna, what were you addicted to? And I'm like what? And it was it was super crazy art. You know, there was a part you walk through this kitchen mm-hmm. and he was sitting in a sink being beaten. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah you're you're doing great you say you have money in the bank what's your biggest extravagance i'm not an extravagant person at all you have one indulgence that you sort of my indulgence is that i will spend under a hundred dollars in dribs and drabs constantly Mm. um i would say my biggest indulgence is is buying like cheap clothes i I don't really need Mm. but i love it yeah i love it it makes me but some, happy from where like zara and target or? yeah just like wherever i love yeah. like outlet malls mm-hmm. and like secondhand stores and yeah. stuff like that a scarf here and a pair of gloves there yeah not accessories i get no. like shirts and dresses okay um but but i mean i was thinking that today it's like i can't even find all the clothes in there and it's like if i actually didn't do that and i and i you know i could have a mansion right I'm like allergic to spelling, spending more than $100, but, you know, addicted to spending less. You said you wanted to buy a house? Yeah, I'm looking at houses What do you now. want to set, like, what, what kind of a setup do you want? Well, I mean, I'm very, I'm literally, for the first time in my life, actually looking right now. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the concept of owning? Is there, is there a reason you... I think that I was always, like, you know, waiting for my life to start. Now I'm like, oh, I did, like, I mean, not to get too heavy, I did some, like, serious trauma work this summer, and I think I'm just sort of like, oh, my life's here. What am I waiting for? For sure. And Not that you have to own a home to live a good life. Well, I also have started to realize that I have, you know, I'm so scared of spending money. Real estate's a better investment than the 
stock market. Might be. So it's like if I think I'm holding on to my money in stock, I'm actually better off buying something and using that as an investment. Some would say. Uh, there's Yeah, I mean, there's arguments back and forth. There's a degree of permanence that owning your home for a long period of time generally helps you build up equity in, in, a, in a piece of property, yes. Well, and I got a steal at this place, but rents have skyrocketed so much. How long have you been in this Like place? three or four years. Okay. So if I were to move, whatever I would pay in rent would at least be what I would pay in a mortgage. How big a house do you want? Not that big. But here, okay, so here is something that's very relevant for this. So I have, you know, a certain amount of money and I was looking and I don't want to say numbers because it feels so tacky, but I was looking at like under a certain amount. And basically you get a piece of shit here <laughs> in a neighborhood I don't want. Mm -hmm. But I was like, you know, it, it was sort of, it reminded me of like online dating when you're like, well, he could do, you know, I was like, <laughs> I was just like. That's how my wife picked me. <laughs> but I was, well, I would just sort tall. of be like, I've never heard of this neighborhood and it's probably really dangerous and that looks a little, but hey. And then I thought, well, why don't we actually be realistic about mm -hmm. what I l actually could afford if I spent all my money? Yeah. And the difference if you, you know, just go up a quarter or a little bit more is insane. You can get an amazing place. Yeah. And I do that all the time is I'm like, well, I, you know, this would be smarter. And so I'm going to get a piece of shit rather than like an amazing place by spending a significant amount more. Yeah. The, the market here in LA is pretty nuts. We moved out of Westwood seven years ago and moved to Atlanta where I live now. Oh, I didn't know you. And I there. just looked at the house that we used to live in on Zillow. Now, granted, Zestimates on Zillow could right. be, oh, there's Zesty. Right, there's that's where I've been looking is so Zillow. There's Zidiculous. And what it is currently estimated at is almost exactly twice what we sold it for seven years ago. Two X in seven years. That doesn't seem, that seems very little. It seems, seems like it would be more. Well, uh, yeah, that's a lot. I know, but oh, I'm I don't know the number of zeros on the house, but I mean, it's no, no, no. no. I mean, it doesn't matter. Regardless of the number of zeros, it was a small house, it's sixteen hundred square feet, and yeah. and I'll, I'll, be, I'll be tacky. It's it's now estimated at two million dollars. Oh yeah, for a sixteen hundred square foot house. Yeah, it's, I mean, this is t and it was built in the nineteen twenties, and it's it's a very pretty little neighborhood, but it's it's quaint. Yeah, you know, and I, it's a great location because it's in. It's right between Santa Monica and Beverly Hills, but it's just, it's a tiny freaking house but it's for $2 million. But Zillow's so crazy because I've like been to now like one open house and like, like just because they're offering it that and it doesn't mean someone's going to pay. Like, well, like, no, no. Because I've seen amazing looking places in the Valley for like 1.3, which is a significant amount of money, but like an amazing looking place. Yeah. And then I've seen 1.8, like something I'd never live in. Right, in a cool area. That or you wanted... something. You know, I looked at a place on Laurel Canyon where like you couldn't even get there without actually risking your life because you had to park above. <laughs> like you literally risk your life every time you go in and it was... Because it's like one of these vertical houses. Yeah, and it was like... I can't stand the canyons. I like mean, there's no good light in there and it's like... And your friends you know, Peter will, Fonda's will corpse is in your backyard <laughs> and Dennis Hopper's old syringes are just lying in the street. It's really... I would do... Hey, hey, I would do... I was, But it's like so overpriced. Yeah. 
All right, this has been super fun. Thank you, Anna David. I'm pleased to meet you and can't wait to finish your book. Thank- <laughs> 60% to go. That's right. Um, thank you. This was super fun. All right, take okay. it easy. So that's conversation with Anna David, journalist, author, entrepreneur in the arts, all around cool Los Angeles woman. She's very gracious to speak to us from her very groovy bungalow apartment right in the heart of Hollywood. Anna, thank you for your time. Listeners, uh, I encourage you to check out Anna's writing. You can find her at Anna David, A-N-N-A-D-A-V-I-D.com. You can also find all of her works on Amazon. I would especially encourage you to go listen to her uh, audio version of Party Girl since she gets paid the highest royalties on that and she owns that free and clear. You can find that on Audible. The link is in the show notes. So please check it out. And again, if you want to find out more about me, I'm at paulollinger.com. Ollinger is O-L-L-I-N-G-E-R. I'll be at Caroline's. March 13th, if you need me to spell Caroline's, you won't think I'm funny. Also, hey, if you like this show, would really appreciate it if you took a few minutes to subscribe, to rate it, and to write a review or one of the above. It would really mean a lot. We're really doing our best to produce a quality product and to get it off the ground and to stand out on the platform's on which we release this thing, uh, those ratings and reviews are very, very helpful. Thank you very much for listening. I, I truly appreciate it and hope you have a great week. See you later.